Hey everybody, welcome to the Chamber Channel's Five Questions podcast. This is the place where we take a deep dive with industry leaders for an inside look at their world and how they can make a difference in yours. There's always a great story behind every business and today's guest is just that. He's been called a serial entrepreneur and it is a title that fits him well. The Waterson brand's portfolio includes everything from organic farming to interior design. And today we're sitting down with Billy Waterson, owner and founder of the Burnt Church Distillery and Waterson Brands. Billy tells us about the story behind creating this business, what his plans are for his newest venture with Side Hustle Brewing Company, and his passion for giving back to the community. So it's hard to believe, Billy, that Bird Church Distillery is about to celebrate its one-year anniversary. It's almost been a year. What has that been like? What a year of changes, too, for Burnt Church. It's, well, it's been a roller coaster. Um, we were excited to get open. Uh, we really didn't have a lot of delays, which is great. But we, COVID was upon us, so we were still dealing with some of those restrictions uh, very early on. Um, and then, of course, we were in the throes of this legal uh, you know, legislative change with trying to uh, extend the drinking rules and sell more bottles, sell more liquor um, by the drink, uh, extend our hours. So uh, we actually were victorious. Uh, the guild came together and, and uh, we had a lot of great, uh, you know, folks on our side that, that pushed and uh, made sure this thing happened. So we're trying to deal with not only our newly opening, but then all of a sudden like gearing up to change. So we got four new licenses that we had to apply for and we have to get a DHEC kitchen and do all these different things and uh, completely revamp how we, you know, essentially uh, uh, man tables and uh, serve people. I mean, it was just, everything was different at that point. So, um, but good, I will tell you, it's been nothing but good. Uh, we've seen um, a lot of opportunity for you know new innovation this year. We released two special releases, number one and number two, and uh, and those were wildly successful. So it's been fun. And then of course we're working on um, a new product. It's it's finished really. It's just waiting to get into queue for production, which is our ready to drink. So we will have cocktails in a can this year, oh, and it's going to be excited. It's called Island Time. And uh, because we didn't want to make it just about one island, but every island, because it's really kind of a, a state of mind. And when you crack into something that's called island time, you just kind of like chill and no worries. And I learned that very early moving here. It's like, yeah, things aren't going to go as fast as you want. You so can't just, really be stressed out drinking something called island time, can you? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's such a, if you haven't been out to Burnt Church Distillery, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it, it's just a very unique place. Tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind it. There's so much to it, and it's just so neat that you sort of put a signature mark on just about everything you've touched there. Tell us about how that came about. Yeah, so, um, you know, we were looking for land before we really had a good name uh, for the distillery. New Bluffton was the place. Um, embarrassingly enough, we initially had called it Black Iron Distillery. Distillery. We're distillery. glad that one didn't make the cut. Yeah, yeah. So it didn't take long after doing um, some trial balloons kind of figured out like, yeah, there was no black iron here in Bluffton. Like maybe in Charleston, that would work. So we had to scrap it, didn't really have a replacement. One day heading out of Bluffton back onto the island, I came across a stoplight, looked up and I read the words Burnt Church Road. And I was like, what? Who calls a road Burnt Church? Like I'm from the Midwest, right? We don't have that kind of stuff. And so I'm like, well, there must be a great story. I raced home and Google it to death, and hours later, nothing. 
there was a few thoughts, anecdotal information, but no real true story. And so I just couldn't let it go. I'm like, we have to know. You can't just call a road Burnt Church and not know why you called it Burnt Church. See, but most of us stop at Google. You hired a historian. Yeah, yeah. I had to hire a historian because I was it was above my pay grade. I, I walked into the historical uh, society and I was like, yes, I'm here to learn about Burnt Church and show me the files. And it's like, what? Like, what plantation is it on? What? I'm like, oh my Lord, I don't even know where I'm at. I have no idea what's happening. So I'm like, I need to go find someone. So yes, we hired Melanie Marks and she did an absolutely fantastic job. But I got to tell you, one of the exciting things about it was it was potentially could have been really bad, the story, but I felt like how cool is it, would it be if we could solve the mystery and give that to the community as a gift when we opened. And that's what we were able to do. So that was the inspiration behind it. And of course we played that through um, in, in all of our research with our brands, our architecture, our interiors. We just had a blast doing it. It was, it was just, it was so much fun. It was stressful um, at times, but a lot of fun. I think the detail that went into it is such an interesting aspect of Burnt Church Distillery. Just everywhere you look, there's something that you wanna know more about. It's almost like discovering something new at every turn. And I don't think people often expect that when they're just going for a tasting, but it really, you guys have done a great job and doing it well and doing it with excellence. And I mean, what you're doing there, it's, it's, there's a lot of things trending right now in, in the spirits world. And, and how do you guys stay on top of those trends? What's trending that you've noticed and how is Burnt Church sort of answering those trends? Yeah. So uh, definitely um, before we ever opened, we realized that uh, ready to drink was trending heavily. And the space was initially um, opened up through the beer channel, right? So you're seeing like White Claws, you're seeing a lot of these other types of um, sparkling or, or hard seltzers that were coming out. And suddenly the spirits folks started to enter the space and the taste difference was incredible. It's just a malt beverage is much different than a, a spirits-based a, a vodka or something like that. And we're like, oh, this is something, this is something. So we got, we jumped on it and we already had started working on it in April of last year um, in terms of like the flavors we would choose and what would it look like, the profiles. And so um, ready to drink is trending heavily. Um, I don't have the right statistics right now, but we're talking about a massive chunk of the industry, the spirits industry. They're talking about 20 plus percent um, by 2027. So that's no joke. And I will tell you just in general, spirits are trending up. And so if you look at beer as a whole, the industry is trending down, uh, save your craft space. The craft space is still trending up. But um, there's, a, there's a, a lot of fear out there. I think that, um, oh my gosh, spirits are running away and you're seeing distributors starting to pick up spirits lines that might've been traditionally just beer. So we're in a great space. Um, and I will also tell you, there's a lot of things like with uh, lately, what we've seen within the past years, a lot of blend, blended whiskeys are like all the rage. Now it used to be like an abomination to how would you, how could you dare mix whiskeys together, right? And now it's like, oh, it's, of course we would do that. And then um, going into different barrels, like a cognac barrel, um, a, a rum barrel to finish something uh, it is a really, really cool trend right now that we're seeing in the space. So we're having fun with it. And uh, frankly speaking, we have more ideas and thoughts and brands than we do money or time. So. You know, we're, we're sitting here in foodie February, and we just came off of what a lot of people do in dry January. And wow, the 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 spirits, non-alcoholic spirits are huge. You guys have a, 
a product that answers to that, a great one, by the by the way. But that's something else that's trending in, in that world, isn't it? It, it is. Thank you. Um, I will tell you, when we first started this process, it was because in reviewing our pro forma, we realized that 20% of people coming into a distillery won't drink alcohol. And we were like, what? How? Why are you here? Why are you yeah. here? Yeah. Well, they're there for the other. And they're not drinking for many different reasons. So um, we wanted connection. And we felt like we need everybody to at least have the opportunity to engage with us and feel like we thought of you. So it started out as a silly botanical water thought process. And as we did more research, we found that there was actually a product out there that someone had put together right new, right out of the gate, seed lip. And this is going back to early 19. And we're like, what? How do you have like a non-alcoholic spirit and you're selling it for $35 a bottle and it's only 700 ml and these people are geniuses. So we ordered it, tasted it. And we're like, oh, you know, we're going to go in a different direction. Um, but that really was the foundation of knowing we wanted to go down that route of a non-alcoholic spirit. And so selecting the name Amethyst was fun because it was the, I don't know if you've ever looked up synonyms for sobriety. They're terrible. Amethyst means sober in Greek. So it was oh. just a huge opportunity to play mm -hmm. off of that. And we didn't really go down the Greek mythology route. We could have, because there's a whole story around how the amethyst actually came to be. Uh, but it's given us an opportunity to, um, to enter a space that is inclusive. Um, but you know, really we thought we're just gonna do this for the distillery and it's turned into something a lot bigger than that. It's actually got legs. We're in three states um, already. Um, we're in classic distribution. We're actually in a grocery chain right now. So we're in Lowe's groceries in South Carolina and North Carolina. Uh, we're we're in, um, actually, we just went into the Atlanta market in Georgia. We, we, Georgia's like its own, or Atlanta's its own state, right? That's the way, 8 million, 9 million people. It's like twice the size of all of South Carolina. So uh, it's doing very, very well. And I will tell you that we are actively pursuing the opportunity to bring that ma manufacturing um, here to Beaufort County uh, because we believe it's going to grow and we really want to take uh, more control over the destiny of that product. Well, you also have been delving into the craft beer area. You've been delving into that. Is there not many areas of, of liquor and, and spirits we're missing here, Billy? So so tell us a little bit about that. I love I love the name of that business and I'm so glad you're you're partnering with them to do some great things. Yeah, you know, I curiosity always gets the best of me. Um I I have fascination with the 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 uh you know, that craft brewing space. There's a lot of, it's similar to the liquor space. There's a lot of like passion that goes into it. The people that are usually involved are extremely passionate about what they do. Um, and I just wanted to have some fun. So a uh, buddy of mine, LJ Bush and I got together and, and went and uh, purchased a side hustle from uh, some great people and who are still with us, uh, still with the business. And the idea is that it, number one rule, about purchasing is it has to be good, right? So if the beer isn't good, we've got to move on. The beer was good. And the second thing is what's the brand like? Well, it was funny. Side Hustle is a funny brand. I mean, you can you can do a lot with it, but everybody can resonate with a side hustle. It's like the kind of thing that transcends um, all levels of the socioeconomic scale, right? Every You can have millionaires that are still doing side hustles. Okay. So uh, it was just a lot of fun and something I felt like we could really, um, uh, grow and expand here on island and and I think take a you know make a bigger impression I think on the beer and brewing space here like there's no reason why we couldn't look a little bit more like Asheville when it comes to having fun with beer and distilleries so 
we are going to scale them up. We're going to be moving them. I won't say where right now, um, but uh, I don't think anybody will be disappointed and we'll have lots of beer. Why don't you have lots of beer and lots of people? Because even now you can't pass by side hustle beer company without going, there's something going on there. There's people on picnic benches and lots of them. And, and that's a neat, neat, neat product. So I'm glad that you're going to be scaling that and kind of showing that to the world. One of the things I think that's really neat about your company, and I find this with your company and others in the low country, you're really dedicated to giving back. I mean, we partnered with you a few years ago with Help for Hope during the height of the pandemic, which was an amazing, amazing experience. Not, I mean, I know for you, for us, and and for all the thousands of people we helped during a time when they needed needed the help when we were in the the thick of it. So, but that's part of your overall philosophy. I mean, it's it's you don't just talk about it; you you walk about it. So, tell us a little bit about how you're how you're using your business, using all that you're doing to kind of give back to the community. Yeah, you know, it, I think back in 2012 is when it first dawned on me that like gosh, we should really be thinking more about community and um, what we're doing and the impact we're having on people. Because the reality is, is that as all businesses, we have leverage, we have influence, we have a voice. And we, and most of us don't even realize it sometimes because you know, some people think, well, we're so small that we can't possibly have an impact. It's just not true. Um, we have this incredible ability to give voice to those who don't have it and to fill needs and to inspire others to do great things. So my personal story is one of coming from poverty and difficult and complicated situations. And so to, to be able to take all of what we've built and leverage it to help others, it's, just, it's, it's not just a good feeling because I don't go home and pat myself on the back about it. It's kind of like, yeah, that's what you're supposed to be doing, okay? We have all the, we're also blessed and we take from community, you know, resources. Um, you know, people that come in the community, we, we take. And so the way to really, in my opinion, to be the glue is to, is to return that and be able to do it intentionally. You know, I often bring up the word tax when people talk about this subject, because it's like, we pay taxes or whatever, we pay a crap ton of taxes, and I'm not going to complain about taxes. But the one thing I can't do with the money that is taken from me is tell you where I want it to go. But what I can do uh, when we actively um, take our profits and some of our proceeds, we can direct that to help people. You know, we, we really can make a difference in the lives of others. And we've been very fortunate and blessed to listen, sit and listen in community before just acting and learning about like what breaks our heart here, where do we see the need um, and, and what are people telling us, right? What are they saying and how can we influence and impact that? So I, I enjoy being able to do things that seem stupid and crazy to others because like, why would you do that? Like, why wouldn't we do that? Like giving others opportunities, like changing lives, like, you know, hope is all people need. When we did help for hope, we were all afraid in a very difficult time. And I, truthfully, I think it was just as healing for us to be engaged in that program as it was for the, for the recipients. It was very healing. It felt like we're going to get through this as a community. So yeah, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the, all in we're the, all in the boat yeah. together, well, all in the boat a, together. We have every one of us, and there are so many generous businesses here uh, in this county. There's, there's no question. I mean, we have the most charities per capita, I think in the world uh, in Beaufort County. So I think we have great people that do great things. And it's just, um, I think learning about how we can maybe be a little bit more intentional about those things and really start to impact 
larger systemic issues that we have. And that's not easy, right? That's not an easy one to tackle because it's deep and it's wide and it's ugly and not something that people really like to talk about a lot, but it's really kind of the direction that we've, we've taken. Um, and uh, we take some hits here and there, but um, grateful to be able to do it. So every time you walk into Burnt Church, literally a portion of what you're giving, a portion of what you're paying is going to help your community, correct? Absolutely. So every transaction, um, right off the top, we take a, a not even percentage, there's a fixed amount that is immediately um, goes into the Low Country Legacy Fund. And that fund was designed specifically uh, to be used in the black community um, here in Hilton Head and in Bluffton. Um, to help with educational opportunities, build out infrastructure, um, and essentially do things like the creation of Blackwoody. Um, Blackwoody is something that we have been working on. Uh, Bridget Fraser, myself, and many uh, leaders, in, um, both in uh, Bluffton um, from government as well as uh, private side, stepped in to, to try to address inequity in this space of entrepreneurship. You know, we looked around, there's like two bricks and mortar businesses in Bluffton that are black well, what's going on? Like, why is that? And so bringing people together, having difficult conversations, learning from each other, and then ultimately coming together to say, how, how can we um, create this opportunity to bridge that gap? You know, there's, there's two things that I've learned um, that we can do in the community to help. And that is resources and open doors. Those are the two magic words. If you're looking at equity, those are the two things. And so it's been um, an honor to be able to step into that space and be trusted enough to say, how do we do this? Let's get, let's get this together. So we're, we have our first real class. We had one last year. At, um, I don't know that you were able to make it to that one. We had some conflicts. Um, there was our beta class, but now we've, we actually have an executive director um, that's on payroll, you know, full-time employee. Um, and we have our very first um, class that will be starting, I think, sometime in March. We're going to run about two classes a year. And essentially, we take them through um, what we call um, Black Equity University. And it's a series of training um, that is very culturally specific, but runs through um, how to take your current business and really help, help you to expand it. And you get a lot of one-on-one in there uh, and to hopefully connect you with a mentor. That, that's kind of the plan. Um, who's here, who's already in business uh, or somebody who has an uh, experience or background in business. And then ultimately, how do we help you scale? Can we fund you? Can we find a source of funding to take your business from here to here? And it's just, again, it's being intentional about it, um, but doing it in a way that is, is honoring um, and is appropriate in that uh, we are here to stand together with our brothers and sisters and not do four. So it's, it's, a, it's a boatload of fun and look to hear a lot more about that this year um, as, we, as we make some, some huge strides in terms of um, the success stories that are going to come from that. Well, that's another reason I love walking in Burn Church when it's busy. And it's busy a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's busy a lot because I know there's more to it than just what's happening. You you own a distillery. Tell me, when you walk in Burt Church, what do you order? Uh, you know, I normally would get a um, an old fashioned with Anita's Choice or Palmer Stretch Rye, um, and then of course, if I'm there for meetings, it's Amethyst. <laughs> and they, they have a drink called the Waterson, and and I didn't name it myself, but the bartenders did because before we opened, they brought me a drink, and I drank it, and I was like, "This is good. What's in it?" And they're like, "Oh, that's Amethyst," and I was like. 
oh, I, I could, I can get in touch with that. And so they, they're like, well, we're going to call it the Waterson. I'm like, great. So you can actually go in and order a Waterson. And it's an amazing um, drink that tastes and feels like alcohol, but isn't alcohol. So um, I have to stay sober just because I own a distillery. I can't drink all the time. I, I have to kind of keep it between the lines, right? Well, if you haven't been, check it out. Burn Church Distillery in Bluffton. You won't regret it. Thanks everyone for listening. The podcast continues to grow and never miss an episode of our Five Questions podcast by subscribing to the Chamber Channel on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Take a moment to download, subscribe, and leave us a review. It helps us reach more people. 